Hello and welcome to our brand new property show, Property Matters, the show where we talk about what's really going on in the property market and tackle some of the biggest challenges facing the industry. Now you can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email. Your hosts today are myself, Brian Fox, and well-known property author, Carl Tallon. Thank you, Brian. And now, this is exciting. To kick off what we hope will be the first of many shows, we have Ireland's original TV house hunter, Liz O'Kane from Hunter Estate Agents, to talk about the challenges facing buyers today and maybe some of the opportunities in the market that they might be missing out on. And after that, we will have the manager of one of Ireland's busiest business parks and prop tech enthusiast, Gavin Gallagher, in to talk to us about the day-to-day realities of taking care of the 8,000 employees that pass through the gates of East Point Business Park every day. And he's going to tell us how real estate really needs to modernise. So, Liz, you're very welcome to Property Matters. Great to see you, Carol. Been a little while. It has been a while. I imagine you have a lot to say about what's going on at the marketplace in South Dublin right now. Well, I suppose, particularly in my own particular arena, um, as you know, I am a traditional estate agent by profession. Uh, However, I come at it from a quite a different angle from the point of view that I source and purchase property for people. So I act for the purchaser primarily. Okay, so my clients would be very broad, very, very broad, very varied uh, people from first time buyers to primarily at the moment, in fact, actually the Irish returning to Dublin Mm -hmm. uh, who want to get a foothold into the Dublin market and quickly and um, Actually, I have a number of investors on my books as well at the moment. Really? So, yes, so th- I do. The, the market has changed and it's funny. I think most people will probably remember you from your days on RTE's House Hunters. So you were always known as the original House Hunter. You were Ireland's Kirsty Alsop. So... Well, Kirsty was the very reason, in fact, that Kirsty was the very reason why I said I actually, I, w- I want to be a house hunter. Really? Yes. I had a four month old child in a rocketosh when Kirsty started location, location, location. And I sat up and looked and said, I want to be her and literally started a very small business uh, there that actually went on for 10 years and was really successful and brought me many opportunities around property columns and indeed the television. And that, in fact, is how you and I met. That's true. It's going back a long time ago. That's probably about a decade and a half now. And obviously, the marketplace is a very different one now. So tell me, of your buyers who are looking at the moment, like, is there such a thing as a typical buyer in the Dublin market right now? Well, for me, the typical buyer is, I mean, there's one area that we should discuss, in, in fact, and may, maybe we'll broach that first. My my growing interest of buyers at the moment is, in fact, um, older people living in large homes who want to downsize. And this is a growing concern in the country because we have a, a housing crisis from the point of view that it's not necessarily a social housing crisis. There's also a housing crisis because as as our population is aging, we have lots of older people who don't have pensions living in large homes, who they're, which they're finding very difficult to maintain. They may have lived in these homes for 30, 40, 50 years. And suddenly they find themselves in a position whereby they are first time sellers. Right. And, and but are look, I, there's been some criticism that older people are almost being forced or guilted into downsizing when the reality is there aren't suitable homes for people to downsize. And that's something actually that we've discussed, Brian, before about the lack of homes for older people, particularly in South Dublin, but actually in most parts of Ireland, to be able to trade down and stay within their community. Mm -hmm. How much of an issue is that in Dublin now? Big issue, obviously, a very big issue. And uh, I think older people are inclined to hold on to their property. Why do you think they are? They are for, for the very reasons we've just literally outlined, community. 
They don't want to move there's from obviously there. There's an emotional from, attachment as well. Of course there's an emotional attachment, mm. yes, but you also need to release equity mm. to have a nice older age and and if if you do have that desire to, to downsize, if you live in a community where you play your golf, play your bridge, get your hair done, get your nails done, do your shopping, why in the world should any older person over the age of, do we say 65? Is that really older now? I don't know. I wouldn't say it was. Mm-hmm. But let's say over the age of 65. Uh, why should you be forced to move to a rural area in order Absolutely. to buy a cheaper, smaller property? So we're back to a planning issue yet again. And interestingly, I spoke with um, I spoke with a friend of mine recently who was involved in the um, Smart Aging Exchange, and um, who is now, in actual fact, doing some work with Owen Murphy. In fact, Karen, hopefully, minister. yeah, exactly. Yeah, hopefully, you'll get the opportunity to speak with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a, a really great planning idea, in fact, is building apartment blocks in the middle of new housing developments. Absolutely. And it's and I think it's super duper idea because mm-hmm. you'll get. You know, you'll get young professionals who need family homes, who will buy the family homes and in time will transfer to an apartment and their community and social life is not affected at all. I think it's a really smart idea. It is a smart idea. but uh, And actually, one of the other suggestions that I've heard, um, which comes back to this being a planning issue, is that actually in most of these very well-established residential areas, there are many infill sites that could be used and that actually would be suitable for planning for smaller homes, especially if they were well-designed. However, local opposition generally is the problem there. So as in, in these in these established neighbourhoods where you have a need for smaller homes, neighbours don't want that. They object to planning. Yes, they yes they can. They can object to planning, but I really think, you know, you have to get a whole community educated around this and you have to go and speak to all of the county councils, which in fact is actually happening. And look, from small acorns grow great trees, etc. But, you know, it is about education. And I mean, it's about you and me. Mm. The other thing I want to to put in here because you did say there uh, a moment ago that you cater for Irish returning to Dublin, Irish returning to to Ireland. Is there any sort of um, specific demograph as such that are returning at the moment or is it all ages and all sexes I suppose? No, there, there, there is a demograph I'll be, I'll be frank with you, there is a demograph there are young professionals who are working overseas generally in tax-free jurisdictions you might have two lawyers two engineers, two architects uh, they're making tax-free money uh, or certainly paying very low tax in areas like Saudi the UAE, Singapore Vietnam, Hong Kong etc and they have uh, you know they have substantial savings. Mm-hmm. They are they are now being mortgage approved as Irish um, as Irish citizens abroad. So they're, are they are they still living away? So they're they're living away. They're buyers. living away. They're mid thirties, living away mm-hmm. with two small children. The dream is, and I have been one of these people, is to educate your children in Ireland. Oh, really? There's no salmon knowledge in Saudi Arabia, so oh. they all come straight back for a good Irish education. So it's for the kids, basically. No, and it's for themselves in time yeah. because you know they don't mostly, primarily, they do not want to be expats for all of their professional lives. Um, so I am purchasing property for that type of demographic. Before they return to Ireland. Before they return to Ireland. And properties to put straight into the rental market, straight away. Until they're ready to come back and use them. So then, and I know that there's been a crackdown on mortgages there. And I think, in fact, Bank of Ireland was the most recent to come out and say they're not giving mortgages to 
um, to buyers, Irish buyers living outside of Ireland planning to return home. So does that mean most of these are cash buyers or are they getting funding? No, no, they, they are being mortgaged. They, they, they are cashed. I mean, they predominantly cash and mortgage, but they are being mortgaged okay. in Ireland. Uh, for their overseas mortgage, but what tends to what tends to happen is their approval in principle is only for six months. Now that is now slowly being extended to twelve yes. months. But what tends to happen is they're sitting on their laptops in Singapore, mm. uh, looking at Daft.ie, and suddenly realise four months into their approval in principle that they actually can't purchase anything because they are. 6,000 miles away. So what will we do? And so that's, they go that's googly, when they googly, googly, googly okay. and I <laughs> turn up. What's their attitude towards the, uh, towards the market here at the moment, particularly in Dublin? I mean, with the with, with the squeeze now on price and so forth, is, is it an attractive proposition for them to come back? It's still an attractive proposition for them. Yes, it is. I mean, it, look, it's everybody, everybody is in their box. Mm-hmm. Everybody at whatever stage of life you are in. Mm-hmm. You have your first time buyers who then need to trade up to a family home. Then they have two children. They want a slightly larger home. Then they stay in that home for 30 years and then they need a two bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. Everybody is in their box. But primarily, these guys are coming back. They're looking for good four bedroom family homes if they can get off street parking well they've won the lotto and uh, decent gardens close to national schools close to good public transport Okay That's it So whether it's a buyer acting on on their own or you indeed acting for buyers how competitive is it out there at the moment? It really depends um, it really depends on the band that you're hunting in Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example at the moment I am hunting at the moment for two properties circa 650,000 one is outside the city centre one is within the city centre and at the moment, I would say there's a calming in the market. It's a little bit mellow. There's a little bit of anxiety. House prices have not dropped, but they've certainly calmed. Yeah. That's how I the would rate describe of increase, it. The rate of increase has definitely slowed over the past nine months. Yes, it's well, definitely. Factors, why do you think that's happened? Um, I think there's anxiety around Brexit. I think there's a. I think there's a lot of waiting and seeing what will happen, and you know, what's our pound sterling going to look like after the 29th of March, or mm-hmm. should we be getting our money out now? Um, equally, there's not a massive amount of, st- of of stock around. Stock is still quite low mm-hmm. um, pre December 2018, but you know, in the environment that I'm working in, I know that valuations are fourfold now. There's a lot of valuations happening, so come the spring. Um, we should be seeing seeing greater stock. But in saying all of that, my modus operandi has always been to attempt to purchase property when there's less competition around. Of course. So if somebody comes to me and says, you know, I think I'll wait till March or April to see if there's any greater stock coming to the market, my, my immediate reaction is, well, there will also be greater competition. Yeah. Let's just go for it now. Mm. Okay, and actually, Liz, you've just said something there that I think is worth repeating. Um, you said valuations are up fourfold. Yes. That's massive. So spell out exactly what that means for house hunters in three and six months time. Well, it, I mean, it, it hopefully means that there will be four times more instructions than there were than there was last year. We should see significantly more stock come into the market. Stock was very, very low. Uh, now, bearing in mind, we are talking about the capital. We're talking about the eastern seaboard here. Mm-hmm. So stock was low. Mm-hmm. And that squeezed the middle market, in my opinion. Now, the middle market to me is anything from €400,000 to €800,000. And there was tough competition um, to purchase properties at that level because you have a lot of young professionals who have that sort of money to spend. I mean, I know it sounds yeah. like a colossal amount of money when you're talking about seven or 800,000 euro, 
But there's high salaries. They're just holding off then. Is that the idea? Pardon me. They're holding off then in terms of moving, even though they've got money to to move and so forth. No, they're desperate. They're desperate to purchase because they they they're up against approval in principle. Now, a lot of the approval and principles are now being extended for 12 months, but a lot of young professionals only have it for six months. If they don't purchase something within that six months period, they have to go back and do their due diligence and their administration all over again. And it is one pain in the rear end. Okay, and can I ask something, because this is something that I'm interested in, but I seem to be in the minority of new homes. How do you think that's going to affect the South Dublin market? Because in my experience... Um, experienced buyers tend to want second-hand homes because they've got larger gardens, usually better location, usually slightly closer to the city or bus routes. However, first-time buyers always seem to go for the new and the shiny, irrespective of whether the location is slightly worse. So is that something you're seeing at the moment? And how do you think the second-hand homes are going to fare as the stock of new homes comes to the market? I'm not coming across very many new homes, houses close to the city centre. Yes, you have Claygate in Dublin 18, up around um, Leopardstown, Mm -hmm. that that direction, which sold out. They're selling out week by week. Uh, most of the large homes up there are circa 800,000, four bedroom over three levels, sold they all sold within a week. They were sitting, well, sorry, I won't say sold, sale agreed. Sale they agreed. had deposits on those properties. Closer to the city centre, if you're talking about, I can give you an example, which is Maranella in Rathgar, which in fact is apartment living and housing side by side. Very similar properties, over three levels, as close to the city centre are asking 1.6 million and they are all sold. So, And I think Marinella was one of the great examples that people were going to, to trade down. So actually, like we, when we opened our conversation here, we talked about the lack of, of properties available for trading down. I am aware that that was actually the apartments in Marinella were definitely somewhere that was chosen as a trading down location. The, 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 only, the, the only clients of mine who have purchased anything new are trader downers. Oh, into, into apartments, into two, into good, uh, good quality, high tech two bedroom apartments. Okay, so can you can you give any solace then for people thinking of selling second hand homes and they're concerned that their home is going to sit on the market for maybe a little bit too long when the flood of new homes actually hits the market, which we're starting to see at the moment? How is that affecting the length of time that second hand properties are sitting on the market? Look. There's one rule of thumb, all right? Go with a good valuation. If you overvalue, if you choose to go with an estate agent who is overvaluing your property in order to gain an instruction, your house is going to sit on the market for a really long time. People have lots of people have lots of information and lots of portals to go to in order to draw their own comparables and find out what has sold in their location and in very recent times, if I'm making sense. You can go to the property price register. Estate agents have access to Property Week. And, you know, the property price register will tell somebody the last, I'm in number 12 and number nine down the road sold for 650,000 last year. Why in the world would my house be worth 750,000 when it's precisely the same property in a very similar condition? You know, it is not going to increase by 30% yeah. in the space of 12 months. So do your, do your due diligence. Get your three estate agents in. Let the three estate agents value like your agent. Get to know your agent and ask them, please, can you prove to me why you're giving me this valuation? 
And if one estate agent is saying 650,000 and the other is saying 750,000, naturally you want to be told that you've just won the lotto because you've got an extra 100 grand. But show me the proof. Mm. Is that and happening a lot at the moment? Or, well, or that's, that's how hunters would certainly operate. That's how we would operate. Okay. Uh, I would suggest that there are estate agents who overvalue for instruction and invariably discount or reduce in price after four weeks. Sorry, the market isn't what we thought it was. Do you know, it's funny, the market has moved on. It might have changed over the past decade or two, but the fundamentals stay the same. If you overvalue your property, buyers know better. And they did even before the National Property Price Register, but now they know for sure. They don't just suspect it. And I think that's a really important tip for sellers. Now, before we finish up, Mm. tell me your top tips for buyers in the current marketplace. Oh, good Lord, Carol, I wish, you'd, I, I wish you'd given me a sign to say this is the question I'm going to ask you. Top tips for buyers. Um, t- uh, well, come talk to me. <laughs> Number one tip, give me a buzz, give Liz O'Kane a buzz and I can talk you through the top tips. But I would say, look, do good research. All right. Be realistic. In fact, if you've got 500,000 euro to spend, search under the bracket of 550,000. Not everything is making its asking price currently. Lots of properties are sitting and there have also been sales that have fallen through. And maybe take a day off work. Do what I actually do for, for my clients who are overseas or on the ground here and who don't have the time. Take a day off work, tee up six, eight or maybe even 10 appointments in one day and Eliminate as your eliminate at the end of the day and get your short list together. And one big tip I would say is do not eliminate a property having looked at it on myhome.ie or daft.ie. You need to see a property and not write it off online. That's Just one, important one, one thing I've, I've got to ask you with, with, the, with about two minutes left. Um, you kept referring to stock, lack of stock, lack of stock. What do you think the government or is there anything uh, the government could do to sort of? Um, increased stock and in, given incentives to, to uh, buyers or, or Is that for the next budget? That's, <laughs> the next budget? that's for the next budget, is it? <laughs> but there is an agency I think that has been set up, am I right? That um, is going to try and help um, builders if they have got sufficient That's cash. right, the new house building finance <clears throat> agency um, is that, the initiative. That However, remember that initiative has been, has been given uh, a pot of 750 million mm-hmm. and they are to deliver 7,000 homes now, maths is not necessarily my strong point, no, but I don't think you're going to make over 7,000 homes out of 750 million. million. So I'm not terribly sure who that's there to benefit. But it is good And is to that see. for Dublin and the greater Dublin area? Yes. And uh, well, but remember that this initiative is going to be rolled out. So in fact... Initially Dublin, I think, isn't it? It, it is initially. Um, but remember, it's the same... Uh, technically... Technically, it's a new agency, but actually it's the same staff. It's the same management as NAMA. And actually, NAMA, for all of its criticism, was actually a very uh, was actually a very effective at doing what it needed to do. So this gives me hope. So, Liz, you've given us lots to think about. And we so. know that for you, hopefully you've given some comfort to sellers, but particularly for buyers, they now know that there is a secret opportunity in the market and that is to contact Liz O'Kane, the original TV house hunter. Happy to have a conversation with anybody and Carol, I really appreciate you inviting me along. That was Thank enjoyable. O'Kane, house Thank hunters you. agents. And next up, we'll be talking about the rise in co-living. Is it really student li- living for young professionals? We'll be joined by Ed Burke, founder of Room and Go, to give us the insights into why working people would choose this. So come back to us in a couple of minutes. So coming up next is Ed Burke. He's founder of Room and Go, an Irish company that brings potential housemates together. Ed, you're welcome to Property Matters. Um, and I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you do the intro. Um. 
Oh, very good. Yeah. Well, I'm delighted to welcome Ed Burke, founder of Rumigo, because Rumigo is one of the, I think it's one of the startups that's really capturing the trends that we're seeing in, in the marketplace at the moment for co-living. So, Ed, you're very welcome. Please explain to us, first of all, what exactly is co-living? Well, guys, thank you very much for having me on. So uh, delighted to be here. So uh, Rumigo is a platform for matching compatible housemates. So it's aimed primarily at young professionals, uh, people in their 20s, but we also have many members in their 30s and even beyond on the platform. And what happens is people find like-minded people uh, to live with. So you could be, say, moving to Dublin and um, you might want to rent an apartment. You need someone else to rent that apartment with. So you, so you could be, say, a 25-year-old, uh, you know, young person. You like to live that work hard, play hard lifestyle. So you might like to find somebody like that. Or you could be, you know, you could be really into sports or yoga. Or you could be a vegan and you might want to find people to live with that share those lifestyle choices. Um, in addition to that... Um, um, increasingly we're seeing uh, people rent out the spare rooms in their apartments and houses so if you're renting out the spare room in your home you're going to want to live with someone who's a good fit for your home after all it's your home unlike short term rentals for a few days the people with whom we live becomes much more important because it's 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 the place you live it's your home and it's all about a community and this brings me around to the whole concept of co-living. Co-living is all about creating kind of communities in the home, communities of like-minded people, which improves, um, you know, your standard of living and your lifestyle. Because if you're living with the wrong people or people you don't get on with, that really diminishes your lifestyle. And of course, loneliness is a big issue that we hear about at the moment. Loneliness within young people. And maybe that's, that's part of the reason, because actually, I think that there was a there was maybe a misconception that co-living and sharing homes as an adult was really a financial choice. It was because you didn't want to spend while you were saving for a mortgage or you wanted to keep your costs down. But you're telling me that it really goes beyond a financial choice. Uh, absolutely. I mean, more people than ever before are moving to urban areas and cities around the world. And if you move to a new city, imagine if you moved to London tomorrow and you knew, knew nobody. Mm. That could be an incredibly lonely place to be, mm. whereas it can be an incredibly fun place in a new city if you actually have, you know, a good network of people around you, uh, you know, a, a support group. And that's another thing that co-living and Remigo gives you. It actually helps you, you know, find like-minded people. And yes, this isn't just, this isn't a financial issue solely. Rising rents and urbanisation does, of course, lead to more people sharing. But this is really becoming a lifestyle choice for people. So, you know, I was interviewed on uh, Ryan Tuberty before the, the Remigo launched and we were talking about this concept. And he said, he remarked to me, sure doesn't Paddy Cosgrave and his wife, you know, and kid live with other people. So, also, And that's, of course, the founder of the Web Summit. Uh, absolutely. So it's something that, you know, people in their uh, 30s are doing, um, you know, people in their 20s and even older. So... You know, if I was moving to, to um, well, I lived in Singapore um, and I had a, you know, a good job in Singapore, but why would I live on my own? So I always shared housing. Did in, you share in Singapore? Uh, absolutely. And how easy was it, uh, as an Irish person, relocating for work to Singapore, how easy was it to find somebody compatible to share with? Well, it was actually very difficult. 
That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> so it was actually really difficult because I remember, for example, I was moving uh, accommodation um, in, in my last year in Singapore and I was working a job from, say, half eight in the morning and I was never home much before seven or eight. So then I was going around in the evenings trying to find a place to live. And this is exhausting because you you can only view one or two places in the evening. And, and, my, that's, and that's when you're from the area yeah, and know the area. Absolutely. And my sole thing was, look, there's plenty of uh, uh, houses in Singapore because there was, there's no property shortage in Singapore. So it's actually the opposite to Ireland. But so for me, it's like I'm trying to live with people, the right people, people that will kind of make my lifestyle, um, um, you know, better. And at that stage, I was thinking in my head, I want to become an entrepreneur, but I didn't have the idea. But funnily enough, um, I thought that for me, if I'm going to become an entrepreneur, what what is one way to do that? And I felt by living with other entrepreneurs, that's going to help kind of make me more creative and maybe encourage me to be an entrepreneur. So that's I, interesting. I've never heard that given as the reason to become an entrepreneur. Yeah, but but the, <laughs> where did you come up with the idea? How did you come so up with how it came up with the idea yeah. was, I was going... I, I, I realised now I've been pronouncing it all totally incorrectly. It's oh, no. Rumigo. So it's like room and Amigo oh, kind right. of merged right, together. Right, right. So could, Brian, could Spanish you, and Spanish. Spanish could, in English. Yeah. Could you imagine having a roomigo? Would, yes, would you would you embrace shared living I at would, this stage? I just, just want to hear how, how, you, how you came up with the idea because it's fascinating. So the way I came up with the idea was I was going around in Singapore trying to find a place to live and eventually after weeks of going around I found a condo and there was a it had a bunch of entrepreneurs they're all entrepreneurs like when I went in to view the place I could see the whiteboard up and their office kind of was in was the it home. a business model canvas <laughs> <laughs> so it was just are these it, entrepreneurs from various different countries these were obviously. international entrepreneurs yeah. sorry yeah. expats that, that expats, were living in yeah. in Singapore and I just thought to myself wow this is really cool I love what they're doing I love the vibe here and then I thought to myself you know what I should have been able to go on a website and it, with the click of a few buttons find entrepreneurial type people to live with because at that stage you know I wanted to be an entrepreneur and likewise I could love playing squash at the weekends something I actually you know did a lot of in Singapore and maybe say watching rugby and if you're really into following sports you might want to live with sporty people because that that might be something you do at the weekend in your house whereas if so you hate you, sports you started the website yourself then yeah without any help, without any guidance or oh no so with, um, from anyone else right? so w- w- what I actually did was when I was in Singapore um, while I was working I did a, an evening uh, program called the Founder Institute and um, I was doing that whilst working and the whole concept behind that is an idea incubator and it's to help you kind of uh, create a company so I did that for a few months and out of that I came up I, I kind of developed the idea that I had got and then I thought okay I had an idea I was still working in Singapore so I worked there for a few more months and then I decided to come back to Ireland and to uh, set up Romigo in uh, in Dublin And would, would, did you have any difficulty getting finance for it? Um, so uh, what I did was um, I uh, joined a program called New Frontiers in Ireland. And New Frontiers is 
backed by Enterprise Ireland, and what it does is it gives you some finance to um, basically money. As yeah, it gives you yeah. some. It gives you some. It's it's actually a grant, it's, which is yeah. fantastic. Um, so it's it's a grant, and it it gives you like six months to like develop an idea. Plus, you also go through their programs that I have. Uh, they bring in experts, and you actually go in, and uh, you've got a peer group around you. So after I did New Frontiers. Um, what I did then was I needed some investment to bring it to the next stage. So I applied to a technology accelerator called the NDRC. The NDRC is Ireland's number one like early stage investor. So they came on board as our first investor. And the really cool thing about the NDRC is they're based near the Guinness Storehouse uh, in a co-working space. So there's like loads of different companies that have gone through their accelerator in there. So once you, so you get the space, you get the mentoring that they give you and you also get to be in this space with lots of other entrepreneurs. And um, I think for... Anybody that wants to start up a business, it's incredibly important that you have a support group around you, a bunch of other, you know, entrepreneurs. So that's uh, that's how we got started. Uh, it really kind of uh, got going with the NDRC. And uh, look, I, I would say I think that's amazing. But I also think that you really came at this problem at the right time because it seems to be a global problem that you've hit on. Can you really just explain to us the scale of opportunity for Rumigo? How many countries are you in at the moment? Well, actually, this scale is just incredible because this isn't, you know, this would work in almost any urban city that I can think of, you know, in the world, except for perhaps North Korea. Like, it's, literally, it kind of works. Well, that would be difficult. <laughs> so you're telling us we're I, not I, going out I, in I North Korea? I don't think it'd be very safe either, to be but honest But how many you. countries are you in at the moment? So, so what we did, we started off by creating social media housemate groups on Facebook. And I put, I've created housemate groups like in 23 different cities around the world. And all of the, like there's, I mean, there's over like 100,000 people in my Facebook groups. And so I have, say, a group in Dublin, another one in Berlin, you know, one in, uh, you know, London, Munich, kind of, you know, I, I have them all over the place. And I can look at each group, okay, in each city, and it helps me kind of understand the local market. And because of that, I have incredible kind of, I have kind of developed kind of incredible knowledge of the various local markets, which has helped us plan our strategy for the actual platform that we've launched. So we built the Facebook communities first, then we built the... um, the the Remigo website and on the Remigo website we've launched it in Dublin so our plan next is to actually go into Berlin because the opportunity in Berlin for Remigo and co-living is just incredible so 85% of Berlin so that's a good question. Is there a typical market that, 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 that is more attractive for this type of uh, living as opposed to anything else? I think the um, I think it's particularly you know, popular in urban areas and cities because that's where they're they're large ex- urban areas. Yeah, lo- guess, you know, large with, ar- with, with lots of expats. And but, so forth, yeah, yeah, lots of expats um, because uh, this particularly targets you know people say working in tech or moving about. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, professional people. Yeah, professional people. So uh, so cities like Berlin, um, you know, Amsterdam, many yeah. different cities around Dublin. Uh, uh, I, tra- I suppose Dublin would be attractive from the point of view of. 
the, the tech companies that are here at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. I mean, it's not just it's it's all kind of professionals well, in their in in, yeah. in their twenties, and I would say and many do, in their thirties. Do you have to pay? How, how, if, if, like for instance, if I want to sign up tonight now to look for a place, say in in New York, what do I do? So, well, so we haven't launched in New York yet, but that's in the pipeline. Oh, right. so, you would, you would <laughs> have to pick this city to, that he's not in. Say Dublin then. So, say Dublin. so for example, in Dublin, we launched in Dublin and we've had you know incredible traction in Dublin. Thousands of people uh, working um, in, in companies all over Dublin have joined Remigo and Lots well, what of do expert. I do? Do I, do I pay you? Do I? I, so I what you do? You, so I'm, I'm living in New York. I'm moving to Dublin. So what, what what you actually do is you create a profile on Remigo, which is free to create. It's almost like a social media profile, LinkedIn or even kind of a dating site like like Tinder. Sure. Uh, what happens is you have your 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 photo, you have um, a bio, and the unique thing about Remigo is. There are 40 different lifestyle choices we have, ranging from night owl, party animal, someone who's, you know, quiet, bookworm, yoga, etc., etc. And you get to choose eight lifestyle choices. And this makes the platform kind of incredibly authentic because everybody chooses what's important to them at the beginning. So once you've created your profile, you you have the choice to make the profile live and public so other people can see it. So then you can find other people that have similar choices to you. So for example, also once you've created the profile you can contact people that have rooms and people that are looking for rooms you can send them connection requests a little bit like on LinkedIn and a connection request can be accepted or declined so you can't spam people um, it has to be the connection request must be um, um, you know accepted or declined Okay and do you Sorry, sorry, Brian. That's amazing. I'm, I'm fascinated by this, particularly as we're going through such a chronic shortage in in uh, rental properties at the moment in Ireland, and not just a shortage, but actually, the the cost of rental obviously is outrageous. Uh, that actually really prohibits people from saving for the deposit on a house or saving to to do anything. Um, so, how many how many um, people do you have in Dublin currently looking for roommates? Well, on our platform, we have over six thousand members, and we're we're growing every week um, so that's our you know total membership um, and on a weekly basis we would have hundreds of new people joining so um, it's a constant uh, influx of people every day okay, you obviously know where they're coming from as well um, well predominantly so it's a mix of Irish people and um, expatriates yeah. so yeah um, and but then I suppose the next logical question has to be how is this working out for the housemates how are they finding it well I mean, it's actually working out really well. So um, um, we got an incredible amount of feedback uh, for of, of people who sometimes people would put up on social media. Um, have you heard about this Remigo thing? What's that like? Mm. And um, people would respond, and they would say, uh, you know, they, they've uh, they've used Remigo. It's helped them find flatmates, for, for example. And if, if if I were if I were leaving you now, for instance, would I do a review of you if I were leaving you? Um, well, we don't actually have a review system on the platform. Yeah, yeah. It's something that's like Airbnb. Like in other words, the, when I leave the your apartment, I will do a review of it. We don't have the review system like Airbnb, but it's something some sort of endorsement system is something that we're considering implementing for the future um it's 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 more long term so this is like people living in houses for 
a, min, a month at a minimum, but most people are like six months yeah. plus. So with Airbnb, people are coming and going all yeah, the time. So it's yeah, a little yeah, bit different. Yeah, so we, yeah. so we're thinking mm. about maybe a system of endorsements. Mm-hmm. Very good. Ed, I, I would love your opinion on this. Are attitudes towards homeownership changing in Ireland? I, so I, is this a temporary stopgap until people fall into the two-bed apartment in the city centre or three-bed semi in the suburbs? You know, are are the people you're working with, do they still look that? Are they still looking for that? Or is is this a changing attitude towards home ownership? I think it's a changing attitude towards uh, home ownership. Um People are renting for longer. The, the rental industry, like throughout Europe, is is exploding. I think the number of people renting in Dublin has something like doubled over the last few years since 2011. I mean, it's really going up. So it's it's a changing attitude. But also, if you look historically, um, I read a report recently enough about Ireland. Ireland wasn't always purely just about home home ownership. If you go back, uh, you know, um, I'm not sure was it like. You know, the fifties or something like the renting was actually more popular. Um, so it's like it's. I think these things go in cycles, and at the moment, um, renting is just it's 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 becoming a huge thing. People are doing it for longer. People want to have the flexibility to be able to move jobs. If you think about it now, like maybe twenty years ago, people might get a job and it's the same job for life. Now. People are changing jobs all the yeah. time. They're moving cities. And if, they, if they're paying for a, a mortgage on a house, it just makes it much more difficult to do that, which is why renting is becoming much more popular. Portability is the whole thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. But Ed, are you, are you maintaining then that actually this is a choice? The choice of renting or buying? Yes. I think so. I mean, absolutely. I mean... Um, I, th- I think I might be a little bit behind the curve on this because I'm just not seeing it. You know, I'm, I'm still hearing from... Um, people who are quite desperate to become homeowners and I think in Ireland we haven't fully developed um, a suitable alternative for home ownership so that people who choose not to become homeowners that they actually have some way to live post-retirement without paying rent and I don't know if we've got that figured out yet. I mean it's a a good point. Um, it, It also... There are many factors coming in. I mean, people are getting married older than they did before. So um, you're single, you know, you're 25. Are you going to, you know. Demographics are constantly changing, aren't they? The demographics are changing. And like, I think people still want to buy homes, but they're just doing it at an older stage in in their lives than they would have done in the past. They want to have that, that. maybe 10, 15 plus years from when they leave college to have the opportunity to move around, work globally. They might be single, they, they're they getting married older. So it's just that, I think people still want to buy homes, but I think it's just been pushed pushed yeah. out to, to, to a later stage. So it's maybe not a priority. Well, look, before we finish up, Ed, you might just, for our listeners who might actually be looking for roommates, might have a spare room in their house or they actually might have adult um, adult children, which we're seeing increasingly, particularly in Dublin and across Leinster at the moment, they've got adult children living at home who yeah. are trying to find places to rent. So maybe house sharing and, and co-living is a good alternative for them. Can you just tell them where to find your details? Well, absolutely. So um, you can look up my website spelled R-O-O-M-I-G-O That's Rumigo. And on Rumigo, um, uh, please sign up. It's, uh, it's, it's really easy to do. Plus, we also have a live chat on the website where you can contact me and um, 
or you can email me at ed at remigo.io and I'd be delighted to help. So that's Ed Burke, founder of Remigo. I'll have to get it correctly. Thanks for coming in. And next, uh, we're going to take a break now. uh, And uh, this is Property Matters here in Dublin South FM. Uh, Stay with us for another while. And uh, next guest is Gavin Gallagher, manager of the East Point Business Park. And welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM. With Brian Fox here and Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio. um, now, so our next guest is Gavin. Sorry, Carol, that's for you. That's for you, excuse me. <laughs> These are the joyous uh, teething problems Indeed, that we're having. It's great. Yeah. So I'm actually most delighted to welcome Gavin Gallagher. Anybody who listens to anything that I talk about on any forum will be well familiar with Gavin Gallagher, who is manager of the East Point Business Park. Again, uh, as mentioned earlier, there are 8,000 people going through those gates every morning. So that's a lot of responsibility on, on his shoulders. But also most people would be familiar with Gavin for, from PropTech.tv. That's probably one of the, the most informative sites for PropTech out there. Welcome. Thanks, Carol. Thanks. Um, yeah, 8,000 people. It's a uh, it's a busy park. Uh, we started it around about 1994 and uh, we built a number of buildings sort of in stages and it was um, slow kind of growing. And then obviously when we got into the recession and stuff like that, there was there wasn't really a lot of appetite for investment in technology and things like that. So we have this great technology park that's got tenants like Oracle and Google and all of this. But Virgin, we don't... We, uh, Virgin Media are there. The yeah. original Silicon Docs. The yeah. original Silicon Docs. It is, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. We have... I so mean, you were there before Hanover and, and all the rest of them? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. We, 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 we built the first building in 94 and it opened around 95 or something. That was It was Kindle Banking Systems. Mm. And then... Um, over time, then we started. Can I, can I ask you, sorry, you why that why that particular area is a matter of interest? Because that's just off the off the bridge, it, off the tunnel there. Yeah, so it was actually it was, it's all reclaimed land. Ah, it was if you okay. go back to the 1960s, that was actually a refuse tip, and um, so it was compacted. And it, you know, they reclaimed a lot of land. Mm-hmm. It was compacted, mm-hmm. and then they, after something like 25 years of remediation and stuff, they basically sort of sold off the land. And we saw an opportunity. We went along and we bought the land it's about 40 acres and um, the business park is 40 acres it's 40 acres that's huge where does that place it in terms of Ireland's business parks it must be one of the largest I think we are one of the largest yeah and um, we're certainly the closest to the city centre like people consider us to be a suburban park but actually we're less than a mile from O'Connell Street Mm. so it's um, and why 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 did you um, did you have what was your decision process I we ask you in terms of going business as opposed to industrial well it's funny you say that because when we started the the process of actually designing this thing it was actually initially light industrial was what we had in mind and if you go back far enough in time there was a period in time when they actually were looking at putting a, a light aircraft uh, landing strip there uh, and things like that so for a private it was not so much well it was more sort of just I think there's a name for it it's short takeoff and landing runway okay. strip or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah. and um so there was a lot of different plans. You're, you're so close to the port there. This port. is the thing, yeah. yeah. It's We are actually part of East Point. The, the phase that we initially bought was private. But then the second part, we have we built an additional phase, which is actually a joint venture with Dublin Port. Oh, okay. And Dublin Port are co-owners with us in that. And um, so Bond Road, uh, when we first bought it, there was no connection with Bond Road. But now our rear entrance it goes into the Bond Road, which is part of Dublin Port. Wow. And, and um, since, yeah. since 1994, you've actually been able, and I know that you've actually worked in a number of different countries since then, but 
Since then, I can imagine you've seen a lot of change amongst the tenants. Well, it's funny you say that because it's not, I mean, there have been tenants coming and going and obviously with the rises and falls of, you know, technology or not even technology, just industry in general. I mean, we had American Airlines there for quite a few years and then in in 2001, 9-11 happened and within a couple of months those guys wanted out of the park they wanted, they were closing down operations and stuff mm-hmm. and uh, so but other people come in and, and fill in those gaps and then over time certain businesses they grow and they shrink and stuff we have we've had tenants there since I mean Oracle have been there since the start almost and they started out in one building now they're in seven buildings like they're they're a big huge occupier in there they're very important Occupier, Google are in there as well, and they like are anchor tenants, I suppose. At they, this point, yeah, I mean, anyone who's in more than one or two buildings is is pretty important, mm-hmm. and those guys have multiple buildings and thousands of staff on a daily basis coming and going. We actually have a uh, a bus service that we use, and we put we have a shuttle that brings people from the park to the Lewis mm-hmm. in uh, the, at the Point Depot, and we also bring them to the Dart Station in Clontarf. That's excellent, and we, and we do about three and a half thousand people a day. Is that um, right, really? Yeah. 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 And in terms of marketing, I mean, do you go abroad to try and market the park? Or, or Well, the thing is, is our marketing at the moment, the park is 99.5% occupied. Really? So there's really no point in us marketing it because if somebody comes along and says, yes, we'd like space, we, we don't actually have anything to give them at the moment. Now, we're starting to look at what our options are because it's quite a low rise park. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's you know, two or three stories at the most. Some of the newer, you know, parts of it are taller, but the original parts are two floors over a ground floor. And so nowadays we look at it and we're going to say, geez, you you well, build five or six or seven floors. You the know? potential is there, particularly as we know Dublin skyline is about to change dramatically. So it's great to see that. By the way, I've always been a, I've always been a fan of of high rise, and I mean, in fact, my college thesis was actually a high rise um, scheme for where um, where the Ulster Bank um, next to Tara Street Station is. Of course, I actually designed a, a high uh, like for my college degree. I did architecture. Does that and, does, um, did that did that um, plan take in part of where Johnny Ronan is trying to yeah, get Tower Tower? It did. Actually, did you envisage yeah. a tower that high? I, I had a forty-story building in did there. <laughs> Not okay, his, his is only twenty. He's only looking for twenty-six, <laughs> yeah. is it? He's looking for twenty-six. I was looking so for forty. So you definitely would have given uh, given that to him. But um, yeah, I, look, I absolutely agree with you. It's time that Dublin embraced uh, embraced it, this. But I don't understand just the the attitude because the. Um, I mean, what you're doing is you're growing the footprint wider and wider and wider instead of kind of just a, a kind of a concentrated tall... It's an attitude of mind though, isn't it? Really? It's, I don't know, yeah. It's, it's like if you go to somewhere like Singapore, mm-hmm. there's, 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 it's, it's almost at different levels. It's like a three-dimensional city at different parts you have. So you have almost no traffic on the streets because there's no need for cars because you can live and work in the same building. Oh, and, is that right? Yeah, and that's, wow. that's a huge improvement on... Yeah, but I, I think when we're looking at Dublin and how it's going to grow, you have to look at the foundations that are there and what's there at the moment. And I know that there's an increasing conversation amongst um, urbanists that, uh, by the way, I'm very much in favour of high rise for Dublin, but there's a, an increasing conversation about maybe the waste that's around Dublin City and that there's a lot of infill sites that could be used as, as sure. well as going high. So I, I don't think that urban sprawl is necessarily because of the lack of height. I think it's because of a number of different things, including sure. very poor planning, not use of yeah. infill sites, maybe not compulsory purchasing um, sites You're when, right. they, when yeah, they were available. Sure. So I think there's a number of different reasons for that, but they're all quite symptomatic of the changes we're seeing 
in Dublin right now and with the commercial occupiers that are coming in. Now, because East Point is so well established, are you getting a sense of the changing trends, for example, towards co-working? Right. Oh, yeah. That's something that, desking, suppose, that is. That well, there's hot desking. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've noticed, because uh, WeWork are obviously quite a, have quite a big footprint now in Dublin, and they're also the largest in London and they're the largest in New York. And I've been following WeWork for, since 2007, I think it What's is. What's the new name change? It's called just We, We, we Company. You know? It will take a while to get used to that. Yeah, We Company. But the thing about those guys is they, they're offering a change of mentality for occupiers. Occupiers nowadays are changing so rapidly that you're looking at a, you're looking at somebody who comes in and sort of says, okay, I've got 50 people, but I might have 150 next year. And that is very hard. Like most companies would only grow at, you know, 10% in it per annum or something. So they'd be adding five people. You're talking about companies that are going 200% in a year. And traditional leases haven't been flexible enough to offer that. You've got, you're expecting somebody to sign a 10-year lease. But that hasn't changed. Well, that hasn't. But if you look at, if you look in, at the Dublin City now today, there's a lot of inquiries out there for, say, 100,000 square foot buildings, but there's almost no inquiries now for 5,000 square foot because people are just going straight to the WeWorks and they're going hiring 50 desks if they need 50 desks and they know that they can have 80 desks at a heartbeat or they can have 30 desks and it's very, very flexible like that. Whereas you come to someone, a traditional you know, office landlord, they're looking to make you sign a 10-year lease. You've got to go and, yeah. you know, you've got to enter into all these dilapidations, sort of uh, obligations and stuff. So it's not attractive. And it's something that we, as landlords, I think, have to be very careful about because we work are going to sweep up a lot of those smaller, nimble kind of technology companies that are growing very quickly. And they just, also the balance sheets, if you look at uh, some of these American companies, they have, their balance sheets are based on, they look at things like a long-term lease as an obligation, like a debt. And so it actually badly affects their their le- their balance sheet. So if you go and sort of say to them, no, you can have a totally flexible desks, it doesn't have any impact on their balance sheet. So immediately the board are all saying, we should do that. We should do that, of course. But do you think a part of this is the changing expectations, not necessarily of the tenants, but the occupiers, as in the employees who are coming into work? The standard of office space is expected to improve, but it's improving in a way that we might not have expected 10 years ago. You know, 10 years ago, we might have thought that an improvement in office space was better ventilation, um, maybe better facilities, er ergonomic chairs. I don't think we were expecting beanbags, dartboards and pool tables. Well, that is, it's, I mean, definitely there's a lot of change, but what we've found, I mean, that, that kind of what you've said there about beanbags and stuff, that is not as predominant as you would think but more high techy with the more high that's the high tech you know the the kind of yeah those uh, guys and there's a kind of a nickname oh it's culture and stuff like that but I think the reality I mean people are expecting more I'm hearing the word wellness a lot and that is something that people are looking is to is for there to be wellness and there to look look, in a flexible space but I've been talking to one of the financial institutions one of the larger ones here I have a friend who's involved in in those and they're looking at uh, introducing an app where there's actually um, they're able to 
do desk sharing and you can actually book a desk, you can book a meeting room using your phone. Mm -hmm. And so this is stuff these guys are looking at. And they're also looking at the ability to have a certain amount of space in co-working. So is this and like a concierge service for a very small business or startup or No, no, these are these, these are, are employees, these are of, employees large of large companies. Like the likes if you go to the states and stuff, um we work with 30% of their um, uh, of their company is taken by the large companies with over 100,000 staff. I mean, 30%. So those guys are taking huge amounts of desks. I mean, Xerox and stuff would have thousands and thousands of desks across America from WeWork. And so the large companies are all starting to do this. And so here in Dublin, I think you're going to start seeing some of the institutions doing the same thing. Speaking of which, just just curious now at this point in time, because I mean, uh, you must be uh, you've got your ear to the ground in relation to business movement and so forth. Uh, we're hearing all about the Dysons and the various banks and car companies that are thinking of moving out of the UK. What's your sense of how it's affecting Dublin? I think there's been a little bit of a bump from Brexit, um, but I think there's also a little bit of spin around it. And you've had uh, some of people saying, oh, um, you know, one of the large American banks have come into Dublin because of Brexit. But in fact, if you go and dig a little bit deeper, you find that that was actually a consolidation and they were yeah. in three or four buildings and they consolidated to one and they're calling that the Brexit kind of. But actually, I don't think there was very many staff at all coming from the UK. It was actually more just a consolidation and somebody decided to kind of badge it up as a Brexit move. So there's a it little bit of It suits the agenda. It suits the agenda possibly. And uh, But I mean definitely the uncertainty now you can really see it in the UK. It's starting to impact um, decision making and I don't know, it's, it seems like a huge own goal to me that they're doing this and you know there must people, be total exhaustion too with, with business people or whatever the whole thing. Uh, well, the thing you know, is, I mean, do, do you invest just, in your business? Do you, yeah, like, what's yeah. happening? You know, you like to have like a two to three year plan for... See, absolutely. And you can have no plan yeah. because you don't know whether you're going to be in business next year in this country or not. Like, I mean, it must be impossible for them. So I don't know. So do you see an opportunity there as a, land, as, as a landlord yourself? For, it's, or, it's most definitely an opportunity, but I think we've... I think kind of the, the horse has bolted because we don't have the ability to deliver the amount of residential accommodation yeah. that this would, yeah. be, that that is, would be required. That is a problem. And every time a business leader, an international business leader, calls Dublin out mm. on that, mm. there's outrage. Mm. And, and we see it as political spin. But that's just the reality. It's what large employers are finding, that Dublin is becoming less tenable. For their staff, and I, I think the transport it becomes product. expensive. It becomes yeah, the transport. Know, the transport is bad. Transport. I mean, yeah. but if you look at this, like if a bank, like if J.P. Morgan or somebody wanted to kind of hire a thousand staff, where are they going to get them from? Are they going to come from the UK? If that's the case, where's a thousand people going to find yeah. accommodation? Where are schools going to you know accommodate yeah. all this? Or are they just going to headhunt them from other institutions, in which case if the same pool is there, it's just they've moved from one bank to another. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's it's a difficult one, I think. You see, there, there are challenges here. and I, We've certainly looked to technology to try to address some of these challenges. And I know that that's something you're quite passionate about as well, the rise in prop tech, which is the technology concerning the planning, construction and property industry. In fact, you're, you're the man behind PropTech. Uh, PropTech.tv. TV. Yeah. So, and, and that's that's starting to gain great momentum in Ireland and, and more particularly outside of Ireland. Yeah, it's huge. Tell us it's about huge. it. Well, I mean, property technology or PropTech is the buzzword we're all using these days. And that is, um, it's really any technology that kind of impacts on the built environment. And um, 
I think it's it's massive opportunity for a huge, to solve some of the problems that we have. If you take, say, for example, the housing crisis that we're experiencing today, you've got, you know, it takes from the date that you buy a piece of land to get planning permission on it, to go through the legal process on it, and then to actually physically build it, you're probably looking at two and a half years minimum between the date that you've identified the piece of land and this, your first house has been delivered. I don't, like we're building houses um, through the, the, the business I'm involved in. And that would be, you know, a fairly quick turn. If you turn it around within two and a half years, you're doing quite well. Now, if you look at the technology that's out there in terms of the legal process, certain countries now are employing blockchain and you can transact in a couple of hours, let alone the 16 weeks or the 12 weeks that it can take to close a deal. So that's 16 weeks shaved off your your transaction. Then you go and look at your planning process. At the moment, you put in your planning permission and you're looking at two months of like the the, the 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 planning department will say that they'll turn around your and they'll answer you in two months. It's never two months. It's, you know, after two months, you get something back from them and then it's another couple of months. So you lose four or five months. Then more than, often than not, you go to onboard Planola, which adds another nine months to your. So that's another year. If you were to have, say, artificial intelligence systems that are able to kind of like assess plans and kind of work out, okay, this pretty much kind of fits within the program that we're looking for and therefore we're going to sort of speed up this process or, or pass it on to humans only when it's passed a certain amount of checks or something like that. There just be, must be ways that we can completely short circuit the planning system so that we can knock it down to one month or something. Mm. That would yeah. save a year. Do you know, it's funny, when I hear about the delays caused by planning, I always wonder, how is that possible? In fact, you're talking about are there ways to circumvent it? And yes, of course, we should be using AI and, and other, uh, other uh, we should be using the data that we have. But what I can't figure out is why don't we just stick with the simple as in there's a regional plan, there's a local plan, if the planning fits within the local plan, it's a non-issue. Why well, are we wasting any time on it? It's true. But I think the the problem that I've seen anyway is is that planner like planning managers get involved and they have personal sort of preferences so for certain people, things. People, people are the problem when it comes to property. I think a lot of that is is some of the issue is is that people have personal views on stuff as opposed to, like I don't think nowadays we're in a situation where you've got just such a housing crisis that we can't have people holding up projects for their personal sort of preferences for a certain tile or a certain house look. I think it really should be that we should be using technology to move this process forward. The construction side, I mean, that's another thing. I mean, traditional house building, you know, you've got the guys, the brickies, and you've got all this kind of stuff. There's now machines that are able to lay bricks. There's all of this stuff. But Gavin, the the problem at the moment is that we don't have brickies and we don't have trades. Well, we don't have this. I I was speaking to main contractors over the last couple of weeks and the danger is actually trying to keep their trades on site because there's such a shortage that they can walk off site at any reason and there's better jobs available paying more every single day. So actually, I mean, we can talk about robotic bricklayers, but realistically, why aren't we just having the conversation about prefabrication and prefabrication, modular bales yeah. and offsite well, construction? Looking at the, um, for example, there's a, there's a building in, I think it's Vancouver in Canada and it is, uh, it's 17 stories high and it's, made of brick 
Uh, sorry, not a brick. It's made of wood. Okay, seventeen, 17 stories, stories high, and it's made of mass timber using glue, glue lamb technology. So it was prefabricated. There's a concrete core for the lifts and stuff like that, and for some of the structural stuff. But that's it. The building was. How fast do you think it was built? Seventeen stories. Sixty-six days. Oh my goodness me! You mentioned blockchain there, and that's something I'd love to pursue with you as well. But for now, I'm afraid that's we got. That's we're pretty much out of time. So, Gavin Galler, manager of East Point Business Park, thank you for coming in. And that's it from from us today. Thank you for joining us uh, uh, on this launch of Property Marks, the show where property matters. And coming up next week, we'll be talking about promoting Irish property outside of Ireland what we can expect from the mortgage market in 2019 and we'll hear how property buyers are getting on using the latest 24-7 online bidding technology through their estate agents. But as I say, that's it for this week's show. We want to thank Liz O'Kane, Ed Burke and Gavin Gallagher, Peter Baker was on sound with, uh, and Peter Baker and Katie Tallon was on sound. Emma was responsible for uh, producing. We're back at the same time next week so stay tuned for Bowl of Soup which is coming up next but for now, for Karen Tallon and me, Brian Fox. Goodbye. Oh